0: This is Global Humanist Chop Talk. I'm M.L. Clark. In December 2022, an attorney named Kelly Conlon was with her daughter's Girl Scout troop, going to a Rockettes show in New York. But when she tried to enter Radio City Music Hall, she was denied. Why? Well, precisely because she was a lawyer, but not just any lawyer. One involved with a law firm actively involved in litigation against Madison Square Garden Entertainment, which owned the facility. Was she wearing a badge at the time that screamed to the world, I'm associated with a firm holding suit against MSG Entertainment? No, and she didn't need to be. All she did was pass through a metal detector, whereafter she heard a loudspeaker warning on the ground security to pick her up, Their facial recognition software had identified her, and even though she's not an attorney working on any cases against MSG herself, it was enough for the system that she was involved with the firm that was. Now to be clear, there is plenty of precedent for lawyers in active cases against a given company not being welcome on their grounds until proceedings have finished. But on top of the fact that Conlon wasn't actually a part of these cases, The striking element for everyday citizens when they heard this news was the application of facial recognition software, the latest extension of machine learning, or what is colloquially known as AI, into every corner of our lives. It's a growing issue that we're currently wrestling with in many fields, but it bears noting, and is certainly important to the themes of this series, that in one field in particular, We've been passively allowing AI encroachment for some time. We've had to, because to say that you are against advanced screening and surveillance practices as they applied to border enforcement can easily be spun as wanting the terrorists to win. How can anyone be against advanced screening practices and other new technologies geared toward identifying possible risks at the border before they enter a given country? Don't you want local citizens to be safe?
1: The men and women of our border patrol are doing a fine job in difficult circumstances. And over the past five years, they have apprehended and sent home about six million people entering America illegally. Despite this progress, we do not yet have full control of the border, and I am determined to change that. Tonight, I'm calling on Congress to provide funding for dramatic improvements in manpower and technology at the border. By the end of 2008, we will increase the number of Border Patrol officers by an additional 6,000. When these new agents are deployed, we will have more than doubled the size of the Border Patrol during my presidency. At the same time, we are launching the most technologically advanced border security initiative in American history. We will construct high-tech fences in urban corridors and build new patrol roads and barriers in rural areas. We will employ motion sensors, infrared cameras, and unmanned aerial vehicles to prevent illegal crossings. America has the best technology in the world, and we will ensure that the Border Patrol has the technology they need to do their job and secure our border.
0: As we explored in the previous episode, rigid borders are a fairly recent phenomenon in human history, stepped up by the paranoia and the wartime trauma of our last century. But it's not just the cultural context that brought these changes about. It was also the increases in our technological capacity to catalogue and monitor fellow citizens. As with ever so many facets of modern human society, from the Gatling gun to the nuclear bomb, We are often in such a rush to be the first to implement new technologies that we don't often stop to consider the consequences of said technology until it's been fully installed in our cultures, and by then it's often too late to do much about it. In the U.S. in particular, it's especially difficult to advocate for relaxing any extreme flight restriction or security protocol advanced by the Transportation Security Administration without opening oneself to the charge of hating the U.S. and wanting its enemies to win. So perhaps it's already too late to ruminate about the consequences of allowing border security to become a testing ground and playing field for increased encroachment on civilian privacy. But one can hope not. One can always hope that even if we have and continue to make some rather poor choices with respect to our priorities around border maintenance and civic security, we can always make other ones, given enough time and cultural education. After all, it's that mental flip, that moment when we better understand how agency can be enhanced or lessened by our policies and cultures which this humanist podcast always sets out to explore, one everyday object or concept at a time. You're listening to Global Humanist Shop Talk, and for six episodes, we're moving through different landscapes in the world of mobility rights and displaced people, our past migrations, our present crises, and the future of movement we deserve. One of the quote-unquote cutest forms of new surveillance tech is the so-called robot dog, a quadrupedal machine loaded with sensors and cameras, which is currently being developed and tested by the Department of Homeland Security for use by the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. I know, I know. If you're thinking to yourself, gee, what a friendly outfit, with absolutely no relentlessly negative history of violent border enforcement, you can take comfort in the fact that you're at least not alone in any sense of alarm. I think by this point too, we've all watched the Black Mirror episode, Metalhead, that imagines a dystopic future where said robotic, quote unquote, animals take on a life and murderous mission all on their own. Last year, Katie Mertza, writing for Immigration Impact, noted that these four-legged robotic units not only raised serious privacy concerns for citizens and non-citizens alike as they made their rounds taking cameras with them along the border, but they also strongly stood to increase the risk of fatalities for anyone crossing. There's a crushing reason for this, but let's first explore the intentions behind the technology and some of the recent context underpinning its use. U.S. Democrats have been a huge proponent of what are called smart or digital or virtual border walls. A system of cameras, sensors, and radars which would certainly include the above four-legged robotic units. There's logic behind thinking that this approach to border patrol would be a lot more humane than the current model in which human beings, with their itchy trigger fingers and often highly toxic attitudes toward immigrants trying to make the crossing, often make harmful choices that lead to a tragic loss of life. Furthermore, the current administration under President Biden has been very tough on the border. Deportations remain high, and in February Biden announced his most restrictive border control measures yet, penalizing asylum seekers who cross the border illegally, meaning at anywhere but official entry points or fail to apply for protection in any other country they passed on their way to the U.S. This change goes against standing U.S. immigration law that says migrants fleeing persecution can request asylum irrespective of the way in which they reached U.S. soil. Partially, Biden's announcement is based on correcting the misguided view among many people fleeing hardship from Central and South America, that his administration would have made crossing easier for displaced people than the prior president. This is because there remains a very skewed understanding of US politics in the minds of citizens and foreigners alike, with many folks quick to assume that a democratic presidency would be any less rigid about borders than a republican presidency. In practice though, Obama carried out three million deportions during his time in office, and Biden's government deported almost 700,000 migrants in his first year. Haitian migrants, in particular, were deeply disappointed when misinformation about changing border requirements found them caught at the Mexican border and, in many cases, flown back to Haiti in 2021. As Biden's latest proposal claims, these new changes to the rules, to be implemented before May 11, will, quote, encourage migrants to avail themselves of lawful, safe, and orderly pathways to the United States or otherwise to seek asylum or other protection in countries through which they travel, thereby reducing reliance on human smuggling networks that exploit migrants for financial gain. End quote. All of which, while rigid, can also be seen as a fairly well-intentioned response to the current southern border crisis, which finds over 206,000 people waiting to be processed. Just change the messaging let people know that it will be much harder to cross that'll that'll stop them right Colombia, there's a region called Tapón del Darien, the Darien plug or gap, which is notoriously dangerous to cross, and which desperate immigrants will try their luck with anyway. Last year, around 100 people every day passed through Terminal de Transporte Norte, a bus terminal by Caribe station in Medellín, to take transit up to the northwestern edge of Colombia, where it intersects with Panama. There, the Pan-American Highway has a 106 kilometer gap, a place where road-building just fell apart, in part due to costs, and in part due to the significant environmental impact of trying to cut through the local ecosystem. There are plenty of good reasons not to build up this land, including leaving it as a natural buffer against the spread of disease into North America, along with preventing further deforestation and even drug trafficking. Because yes, it is that difficult to get through that even drug cartels find the region a challenge. Instead of a roadway then, Desperate migrants face a flat marshland on Colombia's side and a huge mountainous rainforest on Panama's side. It would take around four days of hiking for a person in decent health and with good protective gear, which is not the case for many migrants who arrive shabby and often with children, to get across. It's also an extremely rainy region, one of the rainiest on the planet. Often the people who die while making the journey are swept off in flash floods in their sleep. And others die because they're too exhausted to continue, or because they acquired an infection from an untreated blister or other small wound along the way. Medical help simply does not exist, and there's no good way to reach the injured. This is the terrain of carnivorous mammals, snakes, and aggressive insects, along with robbers and rapists, of course as plagues any potential migrant route. And even before you get to this gap, there are still huge risks on what road exists. 39 people died just this February when a bus carrying potential migrants to that difficult terrain went off a cliff. Of the over 150,000 migrants who crossed in 2022, 18 died in the attempt. Of the rest, plenty arrived on the other side in wretched shape. All of which brings us back to the attempt to use legal deterrence to keep migrants from coming to the US-Mexico border, and the complex use case of new technology in particular. Because there's a reason many are against using this new, supposedly more human digital alternative, a border wall of cameras and robots, to replace the inefficiencies of fellow human beings. Simply put, it does not stop desperate migrants. It only changes the routes they'll take, and often for the worst, far more perilous crossings well outside the extended range of digital scanning technology. One paper, published in the Journal of Borderland Studies by Jeffrey Allen Boyce, Samuel N. Chambers, and Sarah Launius, modeled the effects of a 2006 surveillance program called the Secure Border Initiative. This was an early form of smart wall with a huge network of watchtowers, roving patrols, ground sensors, and aerial and marine surveillance. The works. And it had been put into place to help Border Patrol agents gain information far more quickly about potential crossings and process. However, that wall system was discontinued in 2011 because it was found to be ineffective and also very poorly implemented in the first place. More tellingly, though, was that even this grand system did not mitigate the human costs. Instead, it changed human behavior, and for the worse. When researchers contrasted the geography of human remains from the bodies of migrants who died trying to cross the border while this wall was in operation, they found that after SBI was launched, migrants changed the routes of their crossing to bypass it entirely which required them to tackle far more difficult and rugged terrain. As the authors of the study noted, quote, We found a meaningful and measurable shift in the location of human remains toward routes of travel outside the visual range of the SBI net system, routes that simultaneously required much greater physical exertion, thus increasing people's vulnerability to injury, isolation, dehydration, hypothermia, and exhaustion. Our research finding shows that in addition to its monetary cost and its questionable operational efficacy, the smart border technology presently being promoted by the democratic congressional leadership contributes to deadly outcomes. How little seems to have changed in 10 years. But the frustrating part is that we can absolutely anticipate a very low deterrent effect from these measures, whether through legal reforms, or the introduction of more elaborate facial recognition systems, or even whole fleets of robotic, mobile cameras on four legs, spying on US citizens and potential border crossers alike. We can anticipate these difficult outcomes, whether from evidence of past migrants bypassing digital borders even at mortal cost, or making the desperate possibly fatal leap over 100 kilometers of dangerous natural terrain at the Darien Gap. Because at the end of the day these deterrents aren't addressing the real problem. They can't. Not as the world faces increasing precarity due to climate change and the conflicts that come with regional scarcity. Conflicts that we will absolutely discuss in further depth in the next episode when we look at genocide and civil war at their best and most well-intentioned, what these grand spectacles of border security upgrades do is help to reassure a nation's own citizens that the government is trying to keep them safe, that it's doing whatever it can to keep the press of desperate people at the borders to a minimum. At its worst, of course, these digital upgrades in particular are offering private firms a testing ground. For surveillance technologies that they are very keen to put into place all throughout the nation itself. As recognition AI and robotic security forces become naturalized at the borders, so too will they become normalized facets, for better and for worse, of internal national security too. And that's when we really have to start asking ourselves whether fixating on this notion of safety from the rest of the world is really serving anyone. What would the world of migration look like if we didn't keep making border technologies and processes the be-all and end-all of how we talked about improving social outcomes, both in the world at large and also, surprisingly, quite close to home? This has been Global Humanist Shop Talk with ML Clark. Maurizio Ferraz is my one-man dream team of an audio production specialist. Studio space and resources were provided by Agencia El Grifo, and all further credits for cited and referenced content can be found in attached episode notes. All of this would not have been possible without my patrons, the vast majority of whom support me through Patreon. You can also follow my work at Better Worlds Theory, a weekly newsletter at mlclark.substack.com. None of us excels without the support of a community, and I am deeply thankful to have found mine. Be well, be kind, and seek justice where you can.